Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Senior Editor of Sports Travel, and our guests today are Don Schumacher Racing Drivers Antron Brown and Leah Pruitt as we discuss the NHRA 2021 season and much more. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 21 will be held at the Atlantic City Convention Center in Atlantic City, New Jersey from September 27th through the 30th of 2021. This year's conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Sports Link Program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. The 2021 NHRA Camping World Series season is set to kick off March 11th in Gainesville, Florida, where it will begin embarking on a 23-race schedule culminating with the season finale near Los Angeles in November. NHRA drivers are among the fastest in the world, navigating their 11,000-horsepower top-fuel dragsters and funny cars down the track at seats that exceed 330 miles per hour. Every ticket to an event is a pit pass, allowing fans to walk through the pits and enjoy an up-close look at the cars in between rounds of racing. Fans can also walk right up to their favorite drivers to pose for photos and get autographs, and children 12 and under can get in for free. Three-time series champion Antron Brown was the first African-American auto racing champion in U.S. history, and eight-time national event winner Leah Pruitt is also one of two women competing in the top fuel category. We talk with Antron Brown and Leah Pruitt about the NHRA's devoted fan base, how they got started in auto racing, and what stands out for them when they travel across the country. Enjoy the conversation. Antron Brown and Leah Pruitt, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast, and thanks for joining us today. Our pleasure being on. We're looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Of course. Good morning. The NHRA has a devoted fan base. It has a lot of national TV exposure. But for some casual sports fans, when they think of auto racing, they think of NASCAR. They may think of IndyCar. Sometimes the NHRA may not be the first thing that comes to mind for them. What makes the NHRA special for both of you? And why should fans make time each weekend to tune in? Well, I'll I'll start first with, I think what makes the NHRA so important and special to me is, I mean, it's extremely relatable. So from the moment that I thought about driving as a little kid and racing juniors to seeing cars on the street and being attracted to fast hot rods. There's no more applicable place than the NHRA and drag racing to exert all of your power and everything that you can do, but safely on a, on a drag strip and in competition. So for me, it's the most relatable about what you can do to your actual car and what we all live and breathe in automobiles and apply it to a place um, and be able to live like your most extreme self so for me and then of course what Antron and I do is the highest biggest most most intense and insane type of motorsport with how fast and how 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 crazy it is so um it's all levels from relatable off the street to 12,000 horsepower heart beating soul crunching um environment and I think the reason that people don't think about that immediately is because it's kind of hard to think about because there's nothing else like it Right, Antron? No, without a doubt, Leah, Leah hit it right on the nail on the head, Matt. With with NHRA drag racing, I people realize the way we get into the sport is that when I came in as a kid, every ticket is a pit pass. 
there's no special pass to get beyond the barriers. There's like, you're able to walk up and see the people who you look up to mentors like myself when I was growing up, I got to see Kenny Bernstein, Don Perdome, uh, Mark Oswald. I got to see all these greats that I look to on TV. And I went to my first summer nationals in 86 when I was 10 years old. And I remember walking around and the coolest part is that Leah and myself are where we're at because we're able to visualize being there because we're up close and personal to all the greats in the sport where no other sport has this access. It's like you have access to go inside the locker room. We have that. You get what I mean? So, and for us, it's like, you know, NASCAR is always like our big brother sport. You know what I mean? We are the second most popular motorsports in the U.S., it goes NASCAR, then NHRA drag racing, and then you have IndyCar. And when I look at it is that, you know, we got the most exciting deal where you're talking about 11,000 horsepower. Like we reach out and touch you. We bring celebrities from football players to like, you know, A-list celebrities come to our sport and they come and they come back because we leave that impression on them. You know what I mean? Because we reach out and touch you, not just reach out and touch you. I mean, it shakes your body. You know, it, it blows your mind. It'll actually clear all your sciences out. And it leaves tears in your eyes. And uh, and that's one thing that caught me as being like a young kid in the sport where I was like, what was that? It's like it brought me back to where I fell in love with the sport. And that's why I'm at where I'm at today. You know what I mean? That's the same thing for Leah is that we've got hooked like a big mouth bass at an early age. And, and we're living that dream because we could see ourselves in that spot when we were kids. And we knew how to get there by being that. But just simply – but having all that access. What do you think is the biggest misconception about the NHRA? Oh man, biggest misconception. I think, think that it's difficult to, to do. I, I, I hear this question all the time. How do I get into it? And when really it's the most easily accessible motorsport to do on, on, on any level to get to where you want to go. So I think the misconception is, I, I could never become a, I could never drive a top alcohol car. I could never be a nitro funny car racer. Like, uh, I don't know. Look at Antron, <laughs> look at myself and in HRA and these key individuals have paved the way more than anybody else. Your normal, very average person with a dream that has been taking all of the correct steps through classes and platforms and whether it's engineering, going to cap schools to driving. So I think the misconception is because it is such an extreme sport. You have to be something extremely special to do it, which you do in a way. I mean, you do have to be a little crazy, right? Go 300 <laughs> miles an hour. So, uh, but it's a special crazy. It's, 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 uh, I would, I would say that would be the biggest misconception. There, there might be some other ones, but I think we're pretty straightforward. Absolutely. And, and what I feel that the big misconception is, is that, in NHRA drag racing, one of the biggest things is that we get under title of motorsports because we are motorsports. And the problem is, is that we always, they always categorize like we'll get media to come in and say, what are you guys doing about diversity and inclusion in your sports? You follow what I mean? Because we're a motorsport. So they think motorsports is like our counterparts, like a NASCAR. In our sport, we never had that problem. I'm talking about, I'm going back into the eighties. Like my dad and uncle were drag racing fans is like, cause drag racing is very accessible to everywhere. They have, they have like grassroots racetracks everywhere from eighth mile 
to our big quarter mile national event tracks, which are huge. There's access to everybody. When I grew up as a kid, you know what I mean? You could, you have the Hispanics who had the rotary engine cars, like, you know what I mean? Like the Fast and Furious, that was out years ago. They're just making movies about it within the last 10 years because we had that at the drag strip. You line up, you'll see them, they'll have their corner over there and they had these cars with rotary motors going like high eights in a quarter mile years ago and then you have my dad with his like you know my dad and uncle we grew up i grew up in uh chesterfield new jersey which is right next to trenton so right across the bridge in philly on front street you go up to new york they have their street racers they'll come out to Acco, which is on the south jersey side english town which is north jersey where the new yorkers come and you'll go out there and they had their junkyard cars like they had old school chevelles vegas and they had small block chevy engines and they're building race cars out of those cars and station wagons and they're going to race it whether it's street bikes three wheelers whatever you have you can drag race it so the big misconception is like what are you doing about diversity and inclusion in your sport well our sport had it Shirley mo downey won championships in the 1970s you know what i mean where they where they told women to be in the kitchen and she goes well i'm out here kicking your butt that's what i'm doing you mentioned diversity and Antron, you're the first black auto racing, uh, uh, the first black NHRA champion in U.S. history. Leah, you're one of two women that are competing right now in the top fuel. How do you hope that your success, based off also what, what you were just discussing, can inspire others and bring even further diversity throughout the NHRA's driver roster? And as you said, increase the diversity in the, in the stands even more than what it already is. I think that what we are, Leah and myself, is that you'll see the younger generation, they look at us and they resemble, like, you know, they'll like they'll see themselves in us. And we give them that resemblance saying, man, Antron Brown came from Chesterfield, New Jersey. His mother worked at the, she worked for the state, then she worked for the post office at nighttime. His dad was in the National Guards and he came from a normal family. And, but every family's different, but he was able to become a professional race car driver. He didn't come from a million dollar family. He came from a family that worked hard through Monday through Friday and they put in overtime so they could afford the Christmas gifts to give to me and my brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? During Christmas. And, but he's here. How did he get here? And they look at that and say, and when they hear that story, it resonates with him because they say, well, he's normal just like me. I can do it. And they don't have to just be black. They don't have to be white. They don't have to be Mexican. They could be any, doesn't make a difference what walk of life they come from. But I come from a normal family background and I have the same thing. I have negative deals where people said, Hey, well, why are you doing that? You need to stay in college and finish your track scholarship. That's free. Why are you going to go drag race for a living? How are you going to make a living doing that? You need to have a, a real job. Well, this is my real job. You know what I mean? And and like we go through it every day. My son went to school on a career fair and he goes, I want to be a professional drag racer. And his teacher told him, son, you need to have a real job. Who do you know that's a professional drag racer? <laughs> and, and then my son goes, my dad. You know what I mean? And I literally called the teacher up. I go, why would you tell my son? Because my son didn't tell his teacher right away that. My son came home upset telling my wife that. And and I called the teacher up. I said, why would you tell my son that he couldn't be like a professional drag racer? And he goes, and she goes, Mr. Brown, that is like a pipe dream. And she was telling me all this. I said, oh, really? I go, well, I happen to be a professional drag racer. You can hear a pin drop on the other line of your phone. <laughs> <laughs>
So, so it's just that it can happen. You just got to put yourself around it. And, and I know some of Leah, where she came up from and what she went through, and she could tell you that story. I mean, it's amazing, but that's how these kids resonate. They resonate with your story because they, they're living the same story that we lived. Sure. No problem. I think, I think the perfect example of that is exactly what we're doing. I mean, AB, that was, I'm glad you called the teacher out. <laughs> but right, just like in business, leading by example, there's no better way to get things done, right? You can't ask somebody to do something unless you're willing to do it yourself. And I think that's what NHRA does naturally. And that's what our drivers do. That's what we do. We lead by example. So when we're asked with the position of the question of how do we, uh, what do we hope for, right? With more diversity or how do we hope to instill that with the, you know, demographic makeup within the stands, we, we just do it. We just be that. And that's exactly what we are with Antron being with his upbringing and myself, my parents owned an automotive repair shop growing up. My dad raced land speed cars. He was a street racer and just wanted his kids. If they were to be in motorsports to not race on the street, like that was it started in juniors. So I think telling the stories and letting people know instead of putting and I might contradict myself in a way, but instead of putting professional race car drivers on this super high pedestal that it's super unattainable, you're not empowering the general public to A, be relatable to the sport or even have ambition about realistic possibilities of becoming a professional racer. So I think in order to diversify the makeup within the stands is to share all of our stories. And, you know, myself and Brittany being the only two females we have Alexis DeJoria, um, Erica Enders, three-time world champion. We have these females that we have a different persona about us. We are expected to beat the guys. We're expected to look good doing it. And we're expected to be nice. All of these things that also cater to different companies. You bring in different companies. You bring in different audiences, just as NASCAR has done in the past. The Tide car. I remember the first NASCAR I had ever seen with red. It's because it was Tide and my mom used Tide. Like if for females, if we were able to bring in non-endemic brands with our endemic brands and share why we really use them, then you're opening up the conversation for people to understand your sport on a different level if they're not already hooked for the general natural um, attraction that it is of the extreme motorsport. So I think leading by example of being the diverse culture that we already are will naturally pave the way as it's already done for the last 50 years. We are America's sport because that's what America really stands for. And that's the way this country was built on different visions, different groups, all of us coming together and, and, and we are stronger together and we bring it together. And I think that's what makes our sport yet so special because we have respect for one another for what we the excellence that we execute on the racetrack you guys are both part of don schumacher racing and you know at, at its heart nhra is very simple it, it, it's car side by side and you got to beat that per, you got to beat the person that you're next to to the finish line how do you mix striving for individual success because you're both competing as individuals when you're also competing against somebody who's your teammate i don't think it's that to be honest i don't think it's that particularly difficult because you have to be a very strong-willed individual, a very a lot of internal fortitude, right, to do what we do. And we all have a different mindset. Mine particularly has to be 
sometimes that I am greater than 12,000 horsepower. Like, just think about that, right? That's a lot of strength and that takes a lot of confidence. And that's what it takes to drive those cars, be in the mental state about it and in the competition factor of beating somebody else. And sometimes it's not just your own teammate. We are a family of racers together that travel, you know, 40 weekends a year, basically, between testing and everywhere else for 40 weeks together. So it doesn't particularly mean a, a teammate. You want your teammates to win because you want, we want all of Don Schumacher to be one and two in top fuel and top four in funny car or top two now. So the times that we trickle down to meet each other, the goal is in the finish, is, is, it, is in the final round. And when you get there, it doesn't change and go, oh, now I'm racing Antron. It changes my a little bit because you know you're racing Antron, okay? No, no change. <laughs> but it's it's it actually takes it to the other level of that extreme competition because you know that your teammates are your biggest competition, and if you're going to be the best, you got to beat the best. So that's uh, I've never experienced. I can't say I've never experienced any type of a negative competition with a teammate if anything it's been man I, I I need to win this I have to win this I want to win this this is bragging rights within the camp and uh and that's the only time every other time is you're listening in the pit you're on the radio you're watching your phone you're every time rooting for your team and that that's a feeling that I've always wanted to have and I never really had that until I got to Don Schumacher racing and that's the type of atmosphere that he creates and, and that uh, all I can tell you is that when the different feeling you have when you race a teammate is that I can tell you it's almost it's more at ease when you race them because you have nothing to lose. And, you know, you're going up with this opponent that is just as equal as you, if not better. And they can beat you because they have the same equipment you have and they know what they're capable of. Like when you're racing another competitor outside of our stable, we know what they are. Don't get me wrong. Like Steve Tarns is the world champ. You know, you got your game's got to be on that level. Like he's rising above. Like Doug Coletta, great level. But then you could strategically race them because you could see where they're at at that given moment. Like, you know, you got strategy. You're like, hey, man, well, you know what? They ran this. This is all they're capable of running this weekend. So we need to run this. Well, when you're racing your teammate, they know they're racing you. And they're like, we're just going, we're going through the kitchen sink at this run. We're going to give it all it's got. We're going to like, hey, hey, man, give me that soup spoon. I know we don't use it all the time, but we need to in this run. You know what I mean? It's like that's what we do. And uh, and when you go up there, everybody could be running 374, 373. You're racing your teammate. And if you don't bring it, and we've done it before, the rest of the field was like 400s behind. We go out there, we run head to head, and we all we just drop the 375 or 369 on each other. And we're like – where that came from, oh, I'm glad we ran what we ran because if we don't, we'd be on the sideline. Or, or hey, man, let's put us on a trailer. They went from running 380 flat to running 369. Where the hell did that come from? You know what I mean? Because you know what you have to do to get through that round. And uh, and you know you know what they're capable of because you know what you're capable of. So, you know, you're like, well, man, if we're really going all out right now, we could run a, a, a 368. Well, we better go run that damn 368 because that's what they're doing. And because, you know, you ain't got nothing to lose because one of your one of you are going to the next round. So you better you better step that game up. Ain't no ain't no strategizing. You better do what it takes to get that win. And, and that's what we literally do when we race our teammates. There's no. And trust me, 
There's no love lost when we race, believe me. We actually probably want to be each other more than we want to beat everybody else because when we line up, we're like, God, dog, we got to race them. And that's what you say. Like when you race your teammate, it's not like you want to race them. You're like, damn, I got to race. Because it's like you're racing yourself. That's the bad part. How much trash talk do you guys have uh, when you're on race weekends with each other? We don't ever really talk too much trash, I don't think. You know what I mean? We tease each other. <laughs> I'd say we're pretty good, but in the sense of, listen, this is a very humbling sport. Okay. So <laughs> if people are going to be out there trash talking hardcore, you got to know more than 100% to back it up. You got a good car that weekend. You're on your game that weekend. You could push it a little bit more. Antron can always have it because he basically has always brought it. I'm coming into what I feel is my best presence with my best team that I've ever had. And that's not going to change my trash talking features, but it's, um, you know, how you perform is a ref is a reflection of your confidence. And so some people, man, it takes, sometimes people need to trash talk to make themselves feel better. I think I could speak for Antron and I though. That's not our personality trait. Yes. And we let our race cars do the talking and if 12,000 horsepower and get to the finish line first ain't loud enough, then this ain't your sport. So, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I think that I'm kind of like, I never had to. I kind of take the Michael Jordan approach where, just like Leah said, I let our game do the talking and, and the results do the talking because you could talk to your blue in the face, but the results shows it and the stat and the stat board show it. And for me, I never had that. Yeah, I've been wanting somebody to talk some junk with me, but I've been fortunate where nobody has come out and talked junk with me. So, so I don't know what that means, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I mean, I've been dying for that day to come because I grew up in a family. That's all we did was talk junk, and I never got to talk. Do you say my talking junk skills I learned up growing in the kids? You know what I mean? It was beat up, slammed down. But we've been pretty good out there in the race world where nobody really talks junk. You know what I mean? Like, you got a few people that do. The ones that I came in, in, uh, in contact with, a lot of them that talk junk, they do it to so people can look at them but they only get looked at for so long because they can't back it up. So it's a different story when you do talk it and you back it up, then you become pretty, you come pretty bad behind, but you end up getting caught at the end because somebody ends up coming to the stop on you anyway and shutting you up. So our sport, you can go from zero to a hero from one weekend to the next, because all it takes is one mess up because we lose by a thousandth of a second. So that's why Leah said why our sport is so humbling because nobody can dominate for a long period of time. You mentioned just how close the margins are for races. And last season, the the season was suspended in March. It didn't resume until around mid-July. Obviously, the pandemic uh, took its toll on NHRA schedule like every other league or sport in the country, in the world. For something as intense as drag racing and for something where your reactions have to be on point literally every second that you're in the car, how were you guys able to stay prepared and, and for when racing was able to then resume, knowing how important your reactions are in every single event? Well, I can say Antron's got a really good setup at his, uh, at his house. He's got a nice uh, cockpit that I've been trying to emulate uh, instead of just the regular practice tree. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's any particular secret that's going to help everybody. For me, it was making sure not a day went by that I didn't dedicate at least not a ton of time, but like 15 minutes towards pretending I'm in that car, going through it, 
every single scenario that could happen, winning, losing, smoking tires, shaking, hole out, someone hanging me out, everything. That way I felt like I never left the race car. In addition to keeping physical, practicing on the tree, I took that thing around with me, flying all over the country like I was doing last year, everywhere I went. Now I'm lucky I've got one in every location. But because it is such an expensive sport to do and we cannot practice, besides the pandemic, testing and practicing is not a luxury that we have. So I think it all came down to personally what people would do themselves to practice. For instance, I used to wear and still have them recording glasses right here in the middle. And I used to wear them during qualifying runs, like in 2018 through 2019. And I'd pull them up on my computer and I would just watch them. And I, it made me feel like I was back inside the car. And that way, when we, when I got back in, right, it didn't seem foreign. And I said this during the pandemic last year, and I kind of gritted my teeth doing it. But I said, when we come out of this, we're going to see the ones that did put in the work during the pandemic and the ones that forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that, that we surely did. And the off season is no different. So I think, you know, coming back into it right now, A, the teams are working hard and B, the, the drivers are working hard too. So we'll see. That's it for sure. And, uh, and, and that's what it really boils down to just to, touch on what Leah said was, is that when we went through that big, long stretch, of the pandemic is just staying active. It's like, for me, being through my career, like uh, I was, you know, I was a collegiate track runner. I played every stick and ball sport there was in, in high school, you know, and what I've learned was when I came to this is that the car is only going to be so good most of the time. So Let's say, give you an example. Let's say if everybody had a car that went down the track 80% of the time. But then let's just say for me, I was a 60% driver. So you take that out of 80 runs down the track that you're going to win 60% of the time. It goes down track out of 80 times. You get what I mean? So now you're talking about you're going to win maybe 50 out of 100 races. Well, if you can have an 80% car, and let's say you can increase your chance of being a 90% driver to mean to leave on time and to do your car. Well, now out at 80%, if you're 90%, you're going to win like, you know, you're going to win like 78, 78% of the time, like 78 runs out of 100 runs. And that's what's really made my career that much better, where if I could be on my A-plus level game and just keep myself in shape, physically shape, make, if you get physical confidence, you get mental confidence. And if I keep my eyes and my reflexes sharp, then when I'm doing it, I'm not thinking about cutting the light. It just does it automatically because you're doing it with your unconscious mind. And that's what I do. I mean, I just studied the great athletes who won championships after championships, like your Michael Jordans and stuff like that. You know, your Phil Nicholson to your Tiger Woods. What makes them so much better than everybody else is that they're everybody's talented or like a LeBron James. Everybody's talented. But those are the ones that are your Kobe Bryant's there. But those are the ones that were talented and they had the work ethic to go along with it. And that's what I instilled in mind. And that's what I did on that during that countdown phase where I just kept myself steady, working, working. And when I came in there, I was able to do the right things in the car for the most of the time. And, and do you make mistakes? Absolutely. You still make mistakes, but you're minimizing those mistakes. I say you're making 10 mistakes a year. Maybe you only make one mistake a year. That's the difference. And now that one mistake that you only made, think about 10 to one. Well, 10 times you lost 10 rounds. 
one time you only lost one round. And nine rounds is, set, is the difference of you won the championship or coming fifth place in the points. The NHRA season, it's scheduled to start in March in Gainesville, Florida. You're going to have races across the country. The season finale is scheduled for November. Does traveling throughout the country give you pause at any at, at this point still, or do you feel confident by now you've you've raced through this? You've been racing through last year when the pandemic was going on. Are you still are you confident that in the health protocols the series has that going from stop to stop there won't be uh, any issues because of what the NHRA is trying to do to make sure that everybody is able to get through the season in a safe and healthy fashion? I feel like everything is still, we have to operate in a very flexible manner, in a very unknown manner. Um, sure, I wish that we could say that this season is going to be no problems and, and every track on schedule is going to be the way that it is. That's what we would like and that's what we're prepared for. And, but at the same time, no heartburn about things that get changed and moved because one thing that I've learned in the last year, people are making decisions in the best regard, whether that's the series, the team owners, the drivers, sanctioning bodies, track owners, operators, everyone is doing what they believe is the best and healthiest thing to do. And so that's what we have to support. Um, so at this moment, I think all Antron and our teams are focused on right now is starting the season off strong because that that, that will do a lot, right? When you come out of the gate of a season with a strong performing race car and team, you're not behind the eight ball. You, you have momentum. And because there's not a lot of momentum to come off of 2020, for instance, starting now is key. And if we have a couple weeks off, then you just build on that. If you're in an unfortunate place and you didn't have a great Gainesville, you have to regroup. That's even more time that you have to that you've kind of fallen. So I think right now, instead of getting ahead of ourselves and thinking more into the season, like we normally would do in a, in a non-pandemic year, we are focused on what can we do right now with what's ahead of us. And I think that's the same for the fans too. What can they do in the next two months that looks viable? And my personal opinion is we will get these, we will get my opinion, the majority of these races on schedule and have uh, and have a full, close to complete season. I feel though, uh, from last year with our sanctioned body with NH our NHRA Camping World Series has done was tremendous because through the pandemic they went through all the just the criteria and just did it and laid it out perfectly where everybody followed the rules with the face mask. The people in the stands had their social distance, and I was just thoroughly impressed with all of our race teams how they handled stuff on the starting lines, kept it back. And we're able to put off our races in the most strenuous time and got them off to a T and hold them by all the local county and state guidelines. And I think that's one thing that our sport really, really took off on. Like they really adapted and they were very versatile through this whole situation. And this year is going to be any no different. You know what I mean? They're just going to use the same model, keep everybody safe. We didn't, we didn't have any outbreaks where you saw a whole bunch of teams going down. You know what I mean? Like, like you saw like some of the stuff in the NFL where a whole team had to postpone a game where I think we only had like one driver throughout the whole deal. Like it was, I think it was like one driver in the funny car ranks where he came down with it before he got to a race and he had a sit-in driver for one race. But besides that, the crew stayed to herself where we had protocols where my team could even walk over to Leah's car. Like we had to stay in our confined areas. The fans had their social distancing away from the fence. I mean, everything was just like, broke down perfect to the perfect sense where it impressed me how, how our sport really took it in and everybody really 
did their part to keep everybody safe. And then with this year going on, I'm seeing everything's opening back up. Very optimistic with California. They're sending their kids back to school in, in April is what they're, what they're screaming. I see the stuff in Vegas, the NASCAR race is happening. They're having 20% occupancy March 3rd through 5th. We don't race there to April. So I think they're shooting for like at least a 50% occupancy for our race in April is what they're shooting for, which they already got 20% at the NASCAR race. And Vegas is going to open up even more. So that race is definitely going to go off with a hitch. They're already pre-selling tickets for that. Same thing with Charlotte, the next race. Atlanta's already there. So only ones that we really even think that we see problems with is maybe in California to see how California's state regulation does. But for all the other states, I see that everything's going to go through and our, and our season's looking looking beautiful where we're going to have over 20 races this year is what we're shooting for. And, and that's what I'm thinking. That's my opinion. That's, a but that's what I look at it, but I see, I see everything happening. What we went through last year and seeing how other sports are already doing it. And the NBA is already putting, starting to put certain amount of fans in the stands, what NFL did. And now the whole rate declining, all I see is our future growing and getting brighter for this year. What stands out for you guys? You travel throughout the country every year and you've been doing this for so many years. Do you have, what stands out to you beyond the track when you're at a city for a race weekend? You know, what makes a stop on the circuit memorable for you as uh, whether it's place in Gainesville, Florida, or going to Panoma, going to Vegas, uh, all the, all this different tracks that you guys have mentioned. It's the people for me. It's the people. I mean, cause every place you go, believe it or not in this country, like you go to California, they way different from the people in Minnesota. And when you go, when you go to Sonoma, California, it's beautiful wine country. And when you go down to ATL, Atlanta, oh lord, this is a whole different type of folk. You know what I mean? So, so I love that every place. It's like it's it's his own country, really. Even though they're states, they're all different, and that's what really sticks out for me is the culture and the people difference everywhere we go. I would say depending on, right, clearly of where you're at, and I, I agree with you, Ann Shock, so the people, I look forward to just being in the aura. I feel like I don't I don't even travel internationally because I feel like I don't have to. <laughs> we have it all here in our in our melting pot. But for instance, right, Vegas is always a great one. You know, people can make an entire event out of going to the races during the day and then doing their night stuff or going to good restaurants, riding a Ferris wheel, whatever it might be. Vegas is great. Brainerd, Minnesota known for the zoo is what they call it. Just mm-hmm. people have ever heard about Daytona and the amount of campers and partying. And when I say partying, it's race enthusiasts, right? Having a good time when they're not watching the race. That's what Brainerd, Minnesota is about. People spend their entire vacation time and money to go to that event, camp out, watch the races, come back, make floats, parades, bands. There's concerts that happen. Basically, we don't have an infield, but it's right next to the track. You know, and we have two events on the schedule that are four wide, Vegas and in Charlotte, which are a guarantee must see for any race fan. So beyond just the racing itself, the experience of that. Uh, For instance, Gainesville, I'll be in Florida for about three weeks straight coming up testing Orlando, Antron and I and other pro teams testing West Palm Beach, Florida, before we get to Gainesville. And there's a couple pockets hit, you know, right in there. There's um there's some surf parks that are in Florida that I'd like to hit. So they're not indoor, but they make a fake wave. And 
and I love to wake surf. There's one there. Um, there's a couple in Texas that are close by to Dallas. So there's other things around the track. So if people are looking at, man, they're itching, right, to get out of their house and to go to an event on the circuit, there is something to do everywhere. For instance, Pomona, California, you're 40 minutes from the beach. You're another 40 minutes from going up to Big Bear. And you could probably catch some snow, catch a drag race, and catch the beach all in a day and a half. And Sonoma, of course, has got the wineries, which I've, I have never been to, but I'd like to make time this year to go. And, and I feel like if you do the whole Western swing from, not the Western swing, but the, the coast of Seattle to Sonoma and over to Denver, um, makes for a really good time to, to enjoy make a fit. So there's, Antron, what's your favorite? And you can't say English town because it's off the schedule now. Like mine is Denver. It's got the Mopar mile high. We've got the block party. I love the track. I love the venue. Love the people. That's my favorite. What's your favorite like whole week? My favorite whole week is Sonoma. I love going to Sonoma is because when you go up there, the atmosphere and I got like, you know, where the, the coolest part is where the sportsman guys park up on the hill. I got a chance to go up there like on my mountain bike and I rode past them and ran and drove all around the trails where they actually have like a little trail park around there where they have cattle out there. They have a whole bunch of stuff out there and drove out there for miles. And it's beautiful as little, it's like several ponds out there. And you got to be careful. I re never realized that they have a certain special frog out there that you got to be careful at the pond because it's like a protective endangered species. And I was like, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like the stuff I learned. But, and also then we have time to stay out there before we go to Seattle. So then I like to go on over into old school Napa and actually touring vineyards, not like the commercial vineyards, but like these little mom and pop vineyards that have like a little silver Gulfstream, like trailer RV that they park out front of it. And you go walk the fields with them and they talk to you about their family heritage and you sip wine. And, I, and I'm not a drinker. I'm not an alcohol beverage drinker. And by the time I get done sipping, tasting these wines, for one time I said, man, I'm feeling kind of funny. I'm feeling kind of like glowy. Like what's What's this feeling? I was lit up on that on that wine. You know what I mean? I was like, I was like, and my wife goes, my wife looked at me. She goes, "Baby, you got a wine buzz. You're buzzing right now." I said, "That's what it means." <laughs> <laughs> so those are definitely my. That's one of my favorite weeks. And then also going down to the pier, doing restaurants and learning about the old heritage with the old battleship yards down there by San Francisco. So. We have to kind of take it all in, you know what I mean? Next time I want to do the, Alcat the Alcatraz tour. Nice. We'll leave you, you there. No, 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 And this brother don't, I swim, but I ain't going to be able to swim that far. But I'm going to get away. <laughs> all, through all of those stops, it starts March 11th in Gainesville, Florida, the NHRA Camping World Series 2021. And we'll be sure to tune in throughout the year. Antron Brown and Leah Pruitt, thank you very much for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast. Anytime, anytime, Matt. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And we hope to see you at one of the tracks. And if you do and you heard it here, be sure to let us know that you're the Sports Travel fam. We'll, I don't know, we'll get you a piston and a rod or something. Absolutely. And come out in your campers because we can take care of you at our Camping World NHRA Drag Racing Series. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, 
which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Trow for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.